When a man has a coughing fit, no one expects a tumor to pop out of his mouth. We travel back to the Civil War to take a look at a time when soldiers may have been blessed by an angel. And then we take a look at a bizarre story involving a shepherd, his family, and a murder hiding in the woods. Is the murderer Bigfoot? Or something far more sinister today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot of stuff to cover today, so we're going to get started right now. First off, let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Amalia. Amalia, thank you so much for supporting the show. Really, really is awesome. You are going to be our pilot, our captain this episode, and I'm sending you out a sticker. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. We also have a merch store, and join us on the Minecraft server. That's always fun playing. I'm going to be taking a pretty long vacation soon. I'm actually recording my episodes in advance right now. So I'm actually going to have three weeks where I'm, the episodes are going to still be playing. I'm going to have new episodes coming out, but I'm recording them all in advance. So when I'm on actual vacation for three weeks, it'll be the longest vacation I've taken since I started this show. Um, it'll be fun, and you guys will have episodes. I think we'll have one week of repeats, but everything else should be fine. So, Amalia, let's go ahead and hop inside that dead rabbit rowboat. We are going to start off by rowing all the way from Oregon to China. Ugh. Ugh. Probably, should, probably could have picked a better vehicle, but you know, we'll get there eventually. We're headed back to the year 2019. It's March 2019. We're in Hunchun County. That's in the Hubei province in China. And we get out, our arms are super muscular Arr! from rowing all the way from America to China. We're walking around, we're super buff. But we're not here to, like, push people over. We're here, we put on our lab coats, to be doctors. We're just super muscular doctors. And when we get to China, we're going to walk around China a bit. We're going to this dude's house. Now, we don't have his name. This is a medical case. They don't really reveal people's personal information. When it comes to these type of cases, we'll just call him Michael. Michael is a 63-year-old man. We're going to walk in to his house. We're super rude. We don't even knock. He's like, ah! He's shocked, but then we put on our invisibility cloaks, and he just thinks he was having a delusion. He has actually worse problems than a bunch of strangers appearing in his house. Michael's sitting in his house and starts <coughs> trying to clear his throat. Something, Something's wrong. He, he can't figure it out, but he's not going to go to the doctor, right? <coughs> he's just going to work. He's just going to work it through, right? And then one day, he's dealing with this throat issue, but one day... He gets super drunk, way more than a normal human drunk, right? But he's just, you know, dealing with it. He has this lump in his throat. He just figures that maybe he is always nervous. So he also, on top of that, he seems to have a serious drinking problem because one day he gets, according to my notes, super drunk. I don't know what the difference is between being drunk, very drunk, and super drunk. But for some reason, I wrote down super drunk. So let's imagine it is Kryptonian levels of alcoholism. He ends up going to throw up because he's not a kryptonian he drank as much as superman but he's not superman he goes to throw up and he feels a horrible pain in his throat oh oh and then he feels it he feels it at the top of his throat he feels it at the top of his throat he feels a chunk of meat sorry molly <laughs> seriously she's in the corner Blah. 
Why did I have to be on this episode? We're holding her hair back. Sorry, Amalia. He feels a chunk of meat in his throat. He tries to cough it up and it's stuck. It's stuck in his throat. Just tell him the stories. I feel like something's stuck in my throat. He's trying to cough it up. He can't. He reaches into his mouth. He feels it. He says it's about five inches long. He starts to tug on it. He's There's something in his mouth that shouldn't be there. Something gross and slimy. And he's like, that's weird. I didn't need a Taco Bell yesterday. I remember getting drunk, but I don't remember eating a chalupa. And he's pulling it. He's pulling it. And it pops out. It pops out of his mouth. And he said it looked like a longed, forked tongue. And it's actually now hanging out of his mouth. So what do you do? You're coming down from a insane drinking binge. You're thankful that you need Taco Bell. So you're like, oh yeah, that's fine. But, uh, and you have like a piece of meat sticking out of your mouth. He can't, yanking it, he's trying to pull it. It won't pop out. So he does the next alternative, right? He does the next best thing. He pushes it back into his throat. He begins drinking a bunch of water. He's like poking at it. I imagine he gets like a plunger. Eventually it goes back into his throat. I'm sorry for my remaining listeners. I'm sorry. And then, then he goes to the doctor, right? Because it's one thing to have like a lump in your throat in a couple days, whatever. But when it comes out and you can actually look at it and you can feel it, how slimy it is, he goes to the doctor. Doctor looks in there. Doctor, I'm assuming, doesn't believe him at first. He's like, and then, doc, after my incredible drinking binge, something came out of my body. The doctor's like, let's run a couple tests on your liver before we take a look at this quote-unquote forked tongue in your mouth. After they basically flush his liver. It was a tumor. He had a benign tumor that had been growing in his throat. And it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then one day he coughed it up and panicked and he pushed it back in. And they did take it out. He doesn't have it anymore. They took out their tumor. As far as we can tell, Michael is totally fine. He may still have a drinking problem. Hopefully not. Hopefully he's like, I'm swearing off liquor. But, but, interesting little note here. It was a benign tumor. He said it was like a longed forked tongue. What if... Alien hybrid, right? He's a rep, half reptilian. That's why he could drink. Maybe he really is from Krypton. That's why he could drink so much. So, Michael, hopefully you're not the first wave of an alien invasion. Hopefully you were just a man with a benign tumor in your throat. And hopefully you are now, maybe you're just having a drink after work instead of getting, quote, super drunk. But disgusting story. Disgusting story. And I just want to share with you that one had actually been in my notes for a long time it's one of those stories that i was like well i could tell it but a lot of people will probably get disgusted by it it was one of those stories amalia are you ready to take off she's she's nodding her head she'll be anywhere but this story let's go ahead and hop in the carpenter copter and you see me with a little thing in my pocket amalia's like is that is is that the tumor dude are you bringing that guy's tumor with me i was like what i keep mementos from all my stories I'm holding the tumor. I'm all swallowing it. Mmm. Tastes like benign. Let's go ahead and leave behind China. We're in the carpenter copter now. We are flying out to old-timey America. We're going back to the time of the Civil War. You know, it's funny. When I first started doing this podcast, if you had told me I would do a lot of Civil War stories and a lot of Bigfoot stories, I'd been like, nah. But it turns out that's the case, right? So as we're flying out over the Civil War, we're flying specifically over to Shiloh, Tennessee. Let's put on our Union outfits. Let's put on our blue outfits. 
putting our little hats on because we're going to join the Union in this fight against the Confederacy. <laughs> Helicopters flying. It morphs now. It's like gray scale, and it looks like an old-timey helicopter. It looks like a heliotrope or whatever you used to call them. It looks like one of the Da Vinci's machines. We're flying over the battlefield in old-timey fashion. It's April 6th, 1862. We're in Shiloh, Tennessee. We're flying over this. It's not a battlefield yet. The Union troops are just kind of hanging out in the area. And unbeknownst to them, we see 40,000 Confederate troops headed towards them. How does... 40,000 of anything sneak up on you. But the Union, apparently, they were all napping at the same time. 40,000 people come over the hill. There's a massive battle. It's the Battle of Shiloh. It goes from April 6th to April 7th. Union and the Confederacy. (laughs) Shooting at each other. Cannonballs going everywhere. Within these two days of battle, 16,000 wounded. And they're just, like, laying there. Oh, I got shot in the stomach. I'm going to pull out that little tumor. I'm going to stick it in the wound. You'll be okay. Now, for the other 15,999 people, I need more tumors. Stat. Doctor's like, what? He's just holding two saws. He's like, no, I'm just going to cut these people up. Okay. But if I can get more tumors, I can patch up all these bullet holes. There's a dude with a cannonball in his stomach. I'm like, we're going to need a bigger tumor for that one. But anyways, what happened? This is very interesting. So you got people laying in the mud. They're all shot up and stuff like that. And 16,000 is a lot. So it's not like, you know, it's going to take a while. I think even in modern medicine, you would it would take a while to treat 16,000 wounded. Now, some of them just were like, ah, oh, I got a splinter in my hand from the when the gun did that. Some of them were grievously wounded. Some of them were like blown up and had like missing limbs. And other people were just like, oh, I drink too much sarsaparilla and it's making me gassy. I'm just going to lay down in this mud for a while. So you had a whole gamut of injuries. But what happened was they were treating people that first night, right? There's a battle that starts on April 6th, and then the sun sets, and you have people who were shot were just kind of laying in the mud, laying all over the battlefield. And it takes time to get to these people, but some of the people were laying in the mud, and they're bleeding, they're trying to hold their blood, they're trying to hold their body parts in, and they look, and the ground is glowing around them. They're like, what in tarnation is this? And then they notice that their wounds are glowing too. And you'd have the doctors, medics come out and find the people, bring them back to where they can treat them. And the doctors were also seeing these people with glowing wounds. And they started to notice something. There's 16,000 people dead. The people who had glowing wounds, they survived for one. They were more likely to survive. If they did survive, they healed faster. And there was no gangrene, which really is what got you back then. The bullet, the little metal fragment going through your body. That will kill you, but if it doesn't kill you instantly, a lot of time it was the gangrene, it was the infection. These people who were glowing didn't get gangrene. They survived, they tended to survive better, and they healed really quickly. But not everyone was glowing in the battlefield. That would suck if you're laying there, and you're not glowing. Everyone else around you is glowing, and you're like, oh, I feel left out. They're all making fun of you. They're all dead guy, dead guy. You're like, oh, you're right, I am dead. Now, this was like an old Civil War story. They called it Angel's Glow. And, and no one really knew what to make of it. It was written down in the contemporary accounts of the time. Battle of Shiloh, a couple soldiers were glowing. It was just like a, a... They didn't really know how to classify it. Was it like a fairy tale? Was it a folk legend? Who knows? In 2001, two teens in the area decided to do this experiment. Billy Martin and John Curtis. 
decide to look into this old-timey case. What was this? Was this real? Was it a miracle? What was it? What they did was they took a bunch of samples of the soil around the battlefield of Shiloh. What happened? Part of these are the these are the they, they tur- it turns out to be a real thing, but it needed to have certain things going on. One, it was really cold. It was April sixth and April seventh. It was really cold that time of year, so a lot of them got hypothermia, which just slowed down disease overall. But in the soil of Shiloh, there is actually a bioluminescent bacteria that's attached to flatworms, which are all over that area. When the bacteria got into the wound, it basically stabilized it. It allowed no gangrene to go there. So you needed not only the really, really cold weather, but you also needed this bacteria present. And it, there was just the flatworms all over the dirt, and they probably got tired of the war going on. They're like, "What? what it's flat. I mean, the, what? a cannonball's going to roll over it and going to make it more flat. They probably didn't care either way. That, and they're not super sentient. But the idea is you needed the super cold temperature and the bacteria, the bioluminescent bacteria that's attached to the flatworms, with both of those elements together, depending on where you were at in that battlefield, depended on whether or not you got enough of that glowing bacteria in your wounds to save your life. It would be a thing like if you were laying there and you saw your buddies glowing, you may want to scoop up some mud and rub it all over your wound. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily recommend that in all cases. But it turns out that there actually is a scientific reasoning for why these soldiers weren't dying of normally fatal wounds. They just happened to get shot in the right spot. Not like shot in your liver as opposed to your heart, but they fell in the soil where there was a lot of these worms, where other people may have been shot in the shoulder and was sitting up, and they weren't laying in the mud, and it wasn't getting this the right amount of bacteria in there, the good bacteria, and then they would die of gangrene in their shoulder. Very, very bizarre story. A mystical legend that actually has a scientific explanation. So thank you, Billy Martin and John Curtis, for letting us know the secret to the angel's glow. I wonder if, like, modern medics, they should have a little pack of mud. Someone's like, medic! Medic! And there's some guy running across the battlefield, and he just starts throwing mud on GIs. And they're like, oh, yes, yes. And then their skin looks so nice, and they have that glow. And they're ready to go. I wonder if they've been able to package... I patent that. I patent that idea, dude. DARPA, don't take that. I patent packs of mud from Shiloh. Don't. Don't do that. I mean, do it, but give me credit. I want a penny for every ounce of mud. But Amalia, let's wave goodbye to those two young kids, Billy and whatever the other dude's name was. I put my notes away. Bye, dudes. John. He's, he's, He's wiping away his tears. I forgot his name. Bye, Billy. Bye, John. We're saying goodbye to them. I've left behind my lucky tumor, but I don't think we're going to need it. We're actually headed out to Kyrgyzstan. The year is 1990. (laughs) Helicopter, we're back. We're no longer an old-timey helicopter. We're the sleek, battle-hardened carpenter copter that you all know and love. We're flying out to Kyrgyzstan. Now, this story is from a... Originally, it was published in a newspaper called Literature Kyrgyzstan. Every source I found of this story online, I originally saw this and think about it docs.com, but then I look for other references. They all repeat the story verbatim, which generally makes it suspicious. But let's take a look at this story. Let's pretend let's pretend this story is 100% accurate. I think it's an interesting one. Molly, let's bring that carpenter copter nice and low. Flying over the beautiful hilly landscape of Kyrgyzstan. 
once we land, we're going to meet a shepherd. He comes out. Hey, people, I'm coming. <laughs> Apparently, I sound like Santa Claus for some reason. We're like, hey, I'm sitting on his lap. You're like, Jason, get up. It's not really Santa Claus. Aww. My name is Omusha. I am a shepherd. As you can tell from this flock of very loud sheep behind me. Here is my beautiful wife. And my young son is in the house. He's playing Nintendo 64. But that's not why you're here. I know why you're here. You're here to talk about the monster on the rock. And so here's the story that's been going around through this newspaper article, Kyrgyzstan, Literature Kyrgyzstan. Out in the middle of Kyrgyzstan, you had Omushu, his son, and his wife. And they're eking by. It's not the most lucrative business, but, you know, a shepherd's going to do what a shepherd does. He's going to shepherd. And he has a bunch of sheep, takes them out in the pasture, lets them eat, then brings them in at night, puts them in the fence, goes home, kicks his feet up, and dreams. Counts sheep! Counts sheep literally falls asleep on the job all the time. But one day he's sitting there, he's out in the pasture, and he hears his wife, and he's like, that's weird. Normally she only makes that sound when I'm with her. He turns around and he sees her panicking, pointing up at a rock, a massive rock that overlooks the pasture. And he follows her finger up to the rock and he sees on top of the rock a massive hairy creature staring down at them. Once it got the attention of Omusha, it jumps off the rock and runs into the forest. And the wife goes, listen, I don't ask for much from this marriage, okay? I knew what I was getting into when I married a shepherd, but please, that is too far. Like, I didn't think when I took the vows that there would be a monster involved somewhere. Can we leave? And Omusha goes, no, look at this. is so beautiful. Look at all these sheep are grazing peacefully. I mean, sure, yes, you do have the occasional eight-foot-tall monster on the rock, but I will go hunt it. You know, I'm good at two things, sheeping and shooting. So he walks into his house. He gets his rifle. So it's always at the ready. Now, he does go out into the woods a couple times. He's trying to track this thing down. He's walking around. He's looking for it. He's looking for any giant other rocks it could be hiding on. He can't find any evidence of it, but the classic evidence of a Bigfoot, he finds feet prints. He finds footprints. Hmm. So the creature was out here, he thinks to himself. But then he just goes home because he can't find it. Like, what's he supposed to do? Just hang out at the footprint all day long? He's sleeping in it. He's curled up sleeping in it. A couple days later, he's out of the pasture again. Kind of forgotten about it. I mean, I guess if you're in the middle of Kyrgyzstan and you're a shepherd, you got more important things to worry about. You can't all... I think, honestly, like, being a Bigfoot hunter, like, having the time to go out and hunt Bigfoot means you don't really have much else going on. I don't know of many people who, like, work at a factory 40 hours a week. They're like, but the weekends belong to Bigfoot. Like, if you're actually going out and hunting Bigfoot, you prob- that's probably your main job. So he had other things to do. He had to do some sheep stuff. But one day he's out in the pasture, and his wife starts freaking out again, and he's like, oh, what? He kind of knows what it is, so he doesn't even waste time to turn to her. He looks up at the rock, and there's the creature. But see, he had been prepared this time. He really didn't seem to mind the creature at all, but it, he was probably more upset at his wife screaming all the time. He pulls his rifle out, which he had at the ready, and he takes a shot. <laughs> creature jumps off the rocks, runs into the forest. She's like, can we please leave? He's like, ah, oh, come on. Tell you what, I, I know what's going to happen. I, I hit it. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go check out that rock. Because it was kind of dusk at this point. And there's probably going to be a body 
30 yards in the forest because I got it good. I'm not going to worry about it. You don't worry about it. Whatever. The next day, sure enough, he went out there and the rock did have a blood trail leading away from it. So he knew that he shot it. He begins walking, following the blood trail. Eventually it dries up, but he figures it's not coming back. Whatever it was, it's not coming back. A couple days later, he's walking through his pasture. Sheep are just walking around. And he sees a lump in the field. Hmm. It's weird. I don't remember leaving any lumps out here. He checks his mouth. No, I didn't spit up any tumors. Hmm. Let's go see what this lump is. As he's walking closer to it, he realizes it's not just a lump. It's the body of his son. There's an interesting detail to this because when he goes up to the body of his son, he's the son's dead. But he has the the line that's used repeatedly is there is no violence shown on the body. He wasn't bashed up, he wasn't beat up, he wasn't torn in half. Sorry, that's a little gruesome, but, I mean, we're talking about a Bigfoot creature here. No, none of those things, that's not what killed him. I'll get to the cause of death in a bit, but for dramatic reasons, we're just going to have the father bring the child back to the house, the grieving mother. And and Omushu swears at that point he's going to kill this creature, however long it takes. Grabs his gun, grabs some supplies, goes into the forest, and is trying to track this thing down. Now, a couple nights pass. He's spending nights in the forest. He can't find it. After about three or four nights, he goes, I gotta go back, get some more supplies from home. So he comes back home, he sees the sheep in the pen. Walks into his house. There his wife lays. No violence done to her body. She's dead nonetheless. Omushu gets a hold of a friend of his, another shepherd, named Shapak. He goes, Shapak, this thing killed my son, killed my wife. I gotta kill this thing. I gotta do whatever it takes. I need you to watch my sheep while I'm gone. I will be back. I will be back. Shapak's like, sure, dude, no problem. Omushu grabs his gun, grabs his gear, goes off into the forest. And Shapak does honor this debt. Stays in the house, watches over the sheep. And one morning, Shapak wakes up, get ready to do his thing, go tend those sheep. The sheep are agitated, making a lot of noise. The sheep go. You won't believe that was me. That was not a that was not a sound effect machine. Anyways. Shapak goes, whoa, those sheep sound incredibly realistic. He sees they're agitated, they're in their pen. He opens the gate, he walks in. And there, in the middle of all the sheep, lies the body of Umushu. No violence done upon his body. But he is very clearly dead. And that's where the story ends. And the story is set up to be that this creature, this Bigfoot creature is killing this family one by one. There's a very interesting detail I left out of this. First off, before I get to that detail, I think we should be... It's very, very, very rare we come across a story of a Bigfoot killing somebody. We've done stories where people have found bodies in areas where there have been Bigfoot activity. But it's very rare when we find a story where Bigfoot actually is assaulting people. We had this story with a guy who went into the other dimension and there was a Bigfoot-type creature waiting there for him. And it said, gotcha. That was an old episode. That one was really good. I don't remember what episode that was. It might have been interdimensional Bigfoot. But we have that one. 
We have the one about all the Bigfoot sightings in the Southwest, American Southwest, where you had like the Speedway monster was out there. And you had bodies being found. You had, because at this point, the Spaniards and the indigenous people had stayed out of a certain region. And as more Europeans were showing up, they were getting horribly mangled down there. But you had Bigfoot sightings and then these bodies. We, as far as I can remember, and you guys have, know this show more than I do, honestly, I can't recall a time that we've actually had a Bigfoot kill somebody or even really assault somebody. We've had Bigfoot sightings and then people die. And I could be wrong. We may have covered that. But even if I have covered it, it's extremely rare. And here we would have a case over a period of time of a Bigfoot creature showing up repeatedly and taking out a family one by one. So that in and of itself is rare. But this is what makes this story super interesting. Here's the detail I left out. The way that they died... The father, the son, the father, the mother, and the son were all found dead. No violence done upon their body is the phrase used. Two puncture marks in their neck. Blood dripping out of the puncture marks. That's not a Bigfoot kill. That's not a Bigfoot kill. What are Bigfoots known for? Their size. Their strength. People say when they hear these things, it sounds like trees rending in the pitch black night. It's massive creatures. They've been known to throw rocks. Puncture marks in the neck. Obviously, that makes you think of a vampire. If you if you got attacked by a Bigfoot, I don't think there's much left of you. I think a, a Bigfoot attack would be similar to a gorilla attack. You're lucky if you keep your genitals in your face. That's the first thing they would go for, just as an ape-like species. Now, Bigfoot is... Me, Bigfoot, me not want to grab genitals. But in a fight response, as a human, when we fight, we go to disable generally. We're punching for the face. We're punching for the head. And if it's really bad, you're punching for the neck. But, I mean, if you're in a real, real bad fight, you're going to grab the genitals. You're going to go to put out an eye. Like, if it's death, if you lose this fight, you're going to die. You're going to try to do some real damage to them. Grab the balls and twist. Apes, that is their default thing. Apes aren't going to stand up and box you, right? They're just going to start ripping you apart, ripping humans apart. They rip off your face. They pull off your genitals. You think a Bigfoot would at least have some of those instincts as well. If it's going to attack you, it could literally just pull limbs off. But whatever the case, you definitely don't think of it being a stealth attack, an attack with no damage to the body. Those stories that I told where they found the people in the American Southwest, they were horribly mutilated. Horribly mutilated bodies that they were finding in the brush. Nothing like, it looked like Lestat took him in the night. Looks like his last moments were both terror and ecstasy. No, their spines were broken. They were being killed, supposedly, by Bigfoot. So these don't really seem like Bigfoot attacks. So I have a hypothesis, and I think this might be going out there, but we've covered a lot of weird Bigfoot stuff. Let's put this into another perspective. Bigfoot was not the adversary in this story. Despite the fact that he was being hunted. Despite the fact that he was shot. Oh, me only want to save family, but bullet wound through liver make that difficult. Uh, Wandering through the woods. What if it was there to protect that family from a vampire? It wasn't he. He didn't escalate it when he shot Bigfoot. He didn't escalate it so the Bigfoot came back to kill his family. The fact that he shot Bigfoot made it impossible 
for him to save Omusha's son. Far-fetched? Absolutely, right? Absolutely far-fetched. But it actually... these att- If this story is true, right? It could totally be made up. If this story is true, it most likely is made up. But if the story is true, these definitely aren't the hallmarks of a Bigfoot kill. Or an ape kill. Or the kill of someone who's 8 feet tall and 800 pounds. It, it's the attack pattern of a vampire. If you get killed in your sleep, you don't go, Michael Myers must have done it. Like, you, there are certain, you have certain rules with this stuff. What if there was a vampire watching over that herd? And actually, a vampire would make sense as well, because it could feed off the sheep. That's why it would be in a pasture area to begin with. Remember, none of these people were seen to be killed. The bodies were discovered the next day, as if the attacks took place at night. Bigfoot's not there killing these people. Bigfoot's trying to save this group of shepherds from this vampire. And it failed. Because it was being hunted, it was being pursued. Interesting story, an interesting piece of the lore, because it would actually add another wrinkle to the story of Bigfoot. The reason why Bigfoot is always out there, always hidden, isn't trying to hide from us, but it's trying to sneak up on the things that are actually trying to take us out. It would add a whole other layer to the idea of high strangeness. That's where we usually see Bigfoot and UFO and ghosts and stuff like that. Generally in, in a similar area. Where you see one, you tend to see the other. It's possible that Bigfoot is there to protect us from those other crazy things. He's not a furry foe. He's not an elusive enemy. He's a protector. But we treat him as something that we can either hunt, chase, capture, or kill. When we should just be in like, you do you, because I know you got my back. Do we have an ally in the war against darkness? And is that ally our eight-foot friend, the Sasquatch? It would make sense why he's seen all over the world. It would make sense why he's so powerful. Because there's no way a vampire could bite through a Bigfoot's neck. I can't believe I said that sentence out loud. But you know what I mean? It would be built for combat. Plus, it would have the skills of disappearing on command, of being incredibly elusive. It does fly. Bigfoots have been sighted flying UFOs as well. The world of the weird, a lot of times we try to contain it by going, this is a ghost sighting, this is UFO sighting, this is a Bigfoot sighting. It may all be connected, and there may be battle lines drawn. And Bigfoot may be on our side. At the end of the day, it may come down between humanity and Bigfoot versus the forces of evil, the demons and the darkness and the plagues of humanity. We'll be standing there side by side with our furry friend. But if we keep hunting him, if we keep pursuing him, he may not be there when we need him the most. He may not be there as those fangs dig into our neck. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, and I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful, time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. 
Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.